Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Seminarian and Friends, a podcast where my friends ask me their questions about Jesus, Scripture, the Church, or theology. My name is Kevin Gray, the Seminarian who's probably in a class that addresses their quandaries. A few months ago, I did a podcast on Jeremiah 29 11, the popular verse that proclaims God's plans for a future and a hope. It's entitled Covenant and Promises, and I encourage you to check that out if you haven't heard it yet. In it, I discussed how that verse applies to Christians who are under the new covenant that Jesus initiated through his life, death, and resurrection. Today is a follow-up to that with another often quoted verse, Psalm 33 12, which reads, Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh. This verse occupies many calendars in July in America, and it's surrounded by patriotic artwork with the implication that America is blessed because God is its God, that Yahweh is its God. So I want to explore this verse in context to try to pull out what God was trying to say and what it means today. So before I do that, I want to quickly look at what psalms are. Psalms are poems. They can be very short. Psalm 117 is very short. They can be very long, like Psalm 119. And they are songs and prayers and a host of other mini-genres that the people of God throughout several centuries wrote as they, as they lived trying to live out God's commands and, and obey him and love him. So they, they reach out the whole spectrum of human emotion, crying out, save me, O Lord. Uh, there's a lot of doctrine in them and theology but they don't read as a theology textbook uh, because they are the outer workings and the outpourings of God's people living in community, living life, and experiencing Yahweh through them and wrestling with life in them. They're invitations for us to join in these saints as they cry out to God. So we turn to Psalm 33. Now, often psalms have a little intro, if you will, telling who the author was and, and what the purpose is. There are some categories like uh, to instruct, or sometimes there are musical instructions. We don't get that uh, at the beginning of Psalm 33. So we don't know who wrote it, but in God's wisdom, we don't need to. And so I turn to Psalm 33 and I'll, I'll read it and I'll make some comments uh, and try to answer this question. So if you have your Bible with me, turn to Psalm 33 and read with me. Shout for joy in Yahweh, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to Yahweh with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of Yahweh is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of Yahweh. 
By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Yahweh brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Yahweh looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The warhorse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of Yahweh is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Yahweh, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So I want to just dive in and take a look back at, at what the psalmist is saying. Uh, so if you want to look back to, to verse 1, it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you his righteous. And, and from that verse, we see that this psalm is an invitation and a command to praise Yahweh and to rejoice in him and to shout for joy and to enjoy him. Now, certainly this psalm is not in isolation, for this command and invitation is repeated throughout the canon of Scripture. In fact, God's word from beginning to end is about this, that God's creation should praise him and enjoy him for who he is and what he's done. And the psalm provides a small list among the manifold reasons to shout for joy in Yahweh. It addresses ways to do that as well. So we'll see throughout the psalm many reasons uh, that the psalmist provides of why, why why Yahweh is worthy of our praise and our joy in him. But before we get to those, let me also highlight from the start that it's our joy to praise him. We literally experience the eternal, infinite joy of our triune God when we shout to him for joy. In fact, Jesus even said that he came so that our joy may be complete. So yes, this is, this is a command. The psalmist commands us to shout for joy in Yahweh. And, and truly, the Holy Spirit himself, God himself, through the psalmist, commands us to shout for joy in Yahweh, for he is worthy. And Again, we'll, we'll see more of what makes him worthy of our praise in a minute. But it's also a loving, generous, kind invitation 
to us to know complete joy by praising Yahweh. And so in the in the second half of that verse, we see that the psalmist is addressing righteous. Now, in Hebrew, righteous is plural. So the idea is there's a, a people who's righteous, a, a collection, an assembly of righteous people that this psalmist is addressing, telling them to praise Yahweh. So so a good question is who are these righteous people? And and then what does it mean to be righteous? Well, verse 18, I'll give you a little bit of a preview. Verse 18 clarifies a little bit of what righteousness in a people looks like and, and who these righteous people are. It says, those who fear him and hope in his steadfast love. Those are the righteous people that the psalmist is addressing. So, fear, are we supposed to be terrified of Yahweh? No. The the fear that is being spoken of in, in this psalm and, and in Exodus and in 1 John and in other places throughout scripture is is not a, a terror or a petrification of of Yahweh uh, because I mean that's what that's what unbelievers feel that's that's what people who who are anticipating the judgment and wrath of God feel but that's that's not the fear that that his people feel it's it's a trust it's an obedience it's a reverence it's a respect uh, we we recognize his his greatness his power and we respond rightly with trusting his goodness and obeying his commandments and revering his holiness and respecting his power it, it's not a call to fall in terror and it's coupled with hope hoping in his steadfast love so god's not only this power but he's a person who wields power who also loves loyally and steadfastly it's that very love that we hope in uh, that that comes out through our fear of him so what is what does that look like well in the time of this psalm the faithful of god's chosen israel were hoping in the one to come who would fix the mess that they had gotten into. Now, Paul discussed this predicament in his letter to the Romans. He said, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So if you're familiar with this podcast, you've heard me speak of the fall a lot, where Eve was deceived by the serpent, and Eve led Adam to sin, and through Adam, the whole human race also sinned and fell. So sin came into the world through Adam, the one man, and death through sin. So we see that death is the result of sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Paul says elsewhere that the wages of sin is death. So all people sinned, and as their just payment, Death also came to every person through Adam. But God promised 
that he would, through one man, slay the one who tempted Eve to sin and reverse the curse of death that he had placed on the world as judgment for sin. So God's people were waiting and hoping for this man by whose obedience, as Paul described, the many would be made righteous. And so this man, Paul tells us, was Christ Jesus our Lord, who obeyed the Father's will perfectly on our behalf and laid his own life down to pay the penalty of death that we had earned, the wage of sin that was death. Jesus paid it by crucifixion to satisfy God's righteous wrath, and then he rose again on the third day in power as king and lord to declare that the payment had been accepted and to guarantee that the righteous in Jesus would likewise rise again. So those who believe all of this and call upon Jesus to save them and to be their righteousness, those who by faith trust in Jesus are the righteous who will rise again. We, we today are made righteous through this faith in Jesus. And that looks like renouncing our sins, no more loving things that bring death, like the love of money and slander and gossip. And, and if you want complete lists, there, there are many lists throughout the New Testament where, where Paul lists many, many sins that God hates that bring judgment and death to the people who continue to do them like slander and malice and anger and hypocrisy and sexual immorality and all these things. But the righteous renounce those and say, no longer do I do those, no longer do I pursue those, no longer do I want those. Instead, they turn from those and turn to Jesus as their hope and savior and Lord and King. And they, they seek to obey him, trusting that Jesus alone is sufficient for salvation and he forgives sins and he alone makes righteous and, and in fact he even gives the power and the strength through his holy spirit who lives in his saints the power to live rightly so again that's how that's how we're saved today we renounce our sins and we we turn to jesus and we trust that he is lord and that he alone is sufficient for salvation. Now, I did a, a podcast a few weeks ago about this very subject, how the Old Testament saints were saved, and the conclusion is that they are saved the same way, it just looked differently. So they didn't have the benefit of seeing the full revelation of God's redemptive plan yet. Instead, the righteous in the days of this psalm were made righteous through hoping in the promised Messiah, the one who would come, and hoping and trusting in his work. So then we see this, this people are all the righteous and upward, upright that are assemb the assembled people of God whom Jesus justified. And those are the people that the psalmist is addressing in verse 1. And so he continues and says, Praise befits the upright. Where, and he's saying that 
that one characteristic of this people that Jesus has justified and redeemed and who hope in, in, in the steadfast love of Yahweh, the characteristic is that they praise Yahweh and they love Yahweh and they take joy in Yahweh, the triune God of the universe, for who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. So we move on to verse 2 to continue to hear the psalmist instructions to us. He says to give thanks to Yahweh with the lyre, to make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. So the psalmist also tells us to give him thanks for what he's done. I mean, if, if you think back to what I just described, I mean, that is an incredible amount of generosity and grace that the father would give the son to suffer and die on our behalf when we deserve nothing but wrath. So it's befitting for us to give thanks to Yahweh for what he has done. And the psalmist also suggests that we do this through the making of music to him. And it's also an invitation that's repeated throughout Paul's letters, such as Ephesians and Colossians. So it's, it's again, repeating that, that joy. We love music. We love listening to music. We love making music. I love making music, at least as, as someone who's, who's learning how to play drums. God receives our music to him as, as thanksgiving. So the psalmist tells us to sing to him a new song, to play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts, because making music to our Lord and our God is pleasing to him, and it's our joy, and it's a way of expressing our gratitude and our love to him. And so the psalmist continues, and, and, and he lists his first reasons for why Yahweh is worthy to receive our praise. So he's he's set out his command to us and his instruction to us, and, and, and now he's explaining why he says that. And he says, For the word of the Lord is upright. So he begins his explanation of why we are to praise Yahweh by praising the word of God. If you read the Psalms, you'll see that that's a theme throughout what we know today is the 66 books of the Bible, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient word of God as we have it today, though at the time the psalm was written, the canon hadn't yet been completed. But, but, this, the, but the Bible is upright. It's God's word, uh, and, it, and it bears the same characteristic as the assembled people of God from above, upright and righteous. This word upright refers to holiness, the same holiness that is God's, that that the the angels around God's throne proclaimed thricefold. Holy, 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 they cry out at the throne. It's holiness that that's revealed in God's word that the psalmist is praising. It also includes a right order of life and and creation and moral perfection so his saints are to praise him for his holy pure word that gives life and upholds the universe and sovereignly directs the workings of history and comforts and strengths and teaches his people and then the psalmist also says that all his work is done in 
faithfulness. So he he praises the word of the Lord, which executes his works, which are all done in faithfulness. And, and in fact, the, the works that he's referring to actually reveal his faithfulness in a way uh, that we finite creatures can understand and comprehend that we wouldn't be able to if, if we didn't have trees and light and the sky and blankets and clothes around us to, to remind us that Yahweh is faithful. And so the psalmist continues and, and gives us more reasons to praise Yahweh. He says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So here in this verse, we see that we, we see the themes of righteousness and steadfast love repeated because God loves righteousness, which means he loves his people who bear his own righteousness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and again, if you, if you look around to our world, it's one large testament to his steadfast love. So the very things that I just listed off, like the sky and trees and, and blankets and clothes, like these are all reminders that God loves us. Then the psalmist continues in, in a new stanza, and, and he's explaining the word of Yahweh even more. So he's going to give us, as his assembled righteous people, more reason to praise him and thus enjoy him. So he, here's another reason. By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. And so we see that, that he is worthy of praise because his word is powerful, infinitely powerful, all powerful to bring creation out of nothing. Ex nihilo as the Latin says, out of nothing. It is powerful. And, and once creation had been wrought, he, he upholds it and he moves creation by the power of his word. And this power which he execute, executes through his word is another reason to praise him, like I, like I said. But the psalmist commands us to fear let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So yes, we see his power and we praise him, but that praise takes on the characteristic of reverent respect for his power and his commandments. We are to be in awe of him who wields the power to create and to destroy. And it's it's that power that's brought forth through the word as as verse 9 tells us, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings counsel to the nation, counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. So there's, there's a little bit of a transition there between verse 9 and 10. And it, I think it's kind of interesting because the psalmist changes perspectives from looking at eternal things and, and these these giant this giant scale of the creation of the universe and the the maintenance of things in the world and he zooms in in the middle of this stanza to the nations. Now today we might call them the Gentiles and and they they refer to the people groups in the time of the psalm to the psalmist who were not Israel. 
Now, yes, some some individuals of these nations throughout scripture and throughout time did fear Yahweh. For example, Rahab, the prostitute, and King Nebuchadnezzar did uh, fear Yahweh. But by and large, the nations were God's enemies because they worshiped false gods and fashioned idols out of the creation instead of loving Yahweh, the one true God. So we take those together and we see that Yahweh has power by his word to command and create and control enormous entities like the whole universe and he has the power and authority to command even his enemies who can never thwart his plans. So the psalmist continues that the counsel of Yahweh stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And so why can't the nations thwart God's plans because he's he's too powerful and, and his power and his wisdom work together as eternal, infinite attributes of the Holy One. And then the psalmist concludes with this verse. He says, Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen as his Heritage. So now we finally get to the verse that, that triggered this question. The psalmist concludes his stanza by saying that the nation whose God is Yahweh, which that nation is the righteous assembled people mentioned at the beginning to whom the psalmist is addressing. These are the blessed as his heritage. So we get this, this stark contrast between the nations whom God has not chosen to be his inheritance or his heritage and are in fact his enemies who try to dethrone him and discredit him by chasing after their own crowns through their own creation and that's contrasted with the nation whose god is yahweh and that looks like the nations receiving frustrations in in all their plans and and failures and and this is on a on an eschatological scale is eschatological meaning the end of time so we don't always see this in space and time right now but but over the course of all of the course of human history the the nations who don't love and follow Yahweh will be frustrated while the people God has made righteous through his promised one are blessed and so in the next stanza, the psalmist con continues by zooming back out from these nations that he had just spoken of. And he looks at God's perspective of the world to offer another characteristic of the nation whose God is Yahweh. So he says, the Lord looks down from heaven or Yahweh looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. As he's, he's zooming out and looking at, at the people of, of the earth from, from God's perspective and he sees that these people who are assembled before Yahweh and are called righteous do not hope in the false protection of horses strength or any material or temporal thing that's 
another characteristic that sets them apart from the nations. They only hope in Yahweh. And we get that in, in verse 18. Behold, the eye of Yahweh is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So instead of hoping in these false things that will never satisfy, will never protect, never never keep them, never give them life, this, this people, this assembly of, of righteous people, fear Yahweh and hope in his steadfast love. To do what? To do what matters most in life. Deliver their soul from death. So these people are seeking life and they, they find it only in the one who is life and the only one who can give life, and that's Yahweh himself. He delivers their soul from death, which, if you remember, means that he's reversing the curse from Genesis 3, and he's forgiving sins, and he's giving eternal, eternal life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the, the things of this world that bring life and satisfaction and hope, but it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the person and work and promises of Jesus. Jesus gives hope. Jesus gives life. He delivers souls from death. Now, that, that last part of, of verse 19 is important as well because it tells us that this deliverance from death includes famine. It includes suffering, but Yahweh promises to preserve his people through it. So the psalmist is going to conclude his psalm with, with a three-verse stanza, and with these final three verses, I, I want to, to make this psalm, this psalm a little personal as I try to answer uh, the question. The psalmist was in no way speaking of America when he wrote this psalm. The United States of America is not God's chosen nation to perpetuate his heritage. And that can be plainly seen in that it resembles the nations whom God calls his enemies, whom he frustrates far more than the assembly of the upright, whom he calls blessed. Look, if you look around, you see that God is mocked both implicitly and explicitly. You know, you look at TV shows and movies and and. God is the butt of jokes, which is just preposterous if you, you try to reconcile the, the power that the psalmist described earlier with the asinine, flippant jokes that are recorded in, in TV shows and books and, and, and other media. And then implicitly, God is mocked through, through the rampant sin, the ubiquitous sin, like Immorality is not just tolerated, but condoned, encouraged, and sometimes even required. I think about, I mean, this, this happens all the time where a boss of a company tells an employee to lie about reports to make the company look better or to, to steal money. Like all of these, these things happen in, in America. Immorality again, is not just tolerated, but condoned, encouraged, and sometimes even required, thus mocking their creator. The notion of the Bible being inerrant is laughed and scoffed at in modern scholarship, and his commands are not obeyed because of it. The fear of Yahweh and the reverence of his holiness are missing. Justice 
is ignored. People mock the poor. People ignore and forget about the poor and the sick and the imprisoned and the widows and the orphans. Sexual immorality in all its forms is rampant and celebrated. People who who push back and, and want a biblical ethic on sexuality like homosexuality being sinful and premarital sex being sinful and divorce being very much not what God wants. All of these things uh, that, that the Bible proclaims very clearly, people who push back against what the culture is saying are labeled as immoral. Then you have things like the love of money being so ubiquitous and so much other wickedness just rampant and everywhere you look in America, making America far closer to the nations whom God frustrates than the nation that's blessed because it's God is Yahweh. So in case I have minced words yet, let me be very clear. America's God is not Yahweh, but sex and money and individualism, the triumph of the self, the triumph of human reason, the triumph of modernity, politics, education, clothing, being good at things, emotions and feelings, all of these things have usurped God in America as a host of worthless idols. America's God is not Yahweh. So why would we think that America is the nation that's blessed as if God would bless without upholding his just decrees and his holy law? And so my plea for you as you are listening to me is not to be a member of these nations who will receive frustration. And this frustration looks like death and destruction and judgment and damnation and eternal wrath. Do not, please do not continue in uh, sin by rejecting God's commandments, but instead call on the name of Jesus, who alone brings salvation and life and blessing, and by whose blood in his death ransomed people so that together we might pray to the Holy One the words that the psalmist concluded his psalms his psalm with, saying, Our soul waits for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Yahweh, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Soli Deo Gloria.